the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Last week, while my family and I were on vacation, there was a place where we visited a popular tourist destination, and there were some tables set out, and one was selling little handicrafts, and one was promoting a book. And the book for sale was entitled, It's Time to Get Selfish. I saw that book and thought, yeah, of course. This is, of course, the theme of the world, that it's not wrong or embarrassing to be selfish. It's a good thing. In fact, you could probably buy a book to encourage you and teach you how to do that. Now, though that particular book was more about mysticism than self-entitlement, it did resonate with me as a pastor. Because week after week, and in my preaching, in my counseling, on a weekly basis, Selfishness is one of the biggest underlying issues that I address because we are selfish people. And the world often says we're not selfish enough. In fact, I wanted to get this illustration right, and so I googled what I remembered of the title, and I was a bit surprised to see how many books on being selfish there were on sale on Amazon at least. And we come to a place in our study in 1 Corinthians that we have spoken on spiritual gifts in general and the natural segue into the supremacy of love. And now the Apostle Paul enters chapter 14 to teach specifically about prophecy and tongues. But the point is not so much to talk about those specific gifts per se, but about one's attitude in how you serve and the differences those spiritual gifts have in, at least in the Corinthians' minds at that time, attitude. Is the attitude a focus on the maximum benefit for the church, or is it the belief that it's time to get selfish? In other words, is it a focus on spiritual gifts like prophecy, or is it a focus on selfishness that's fleshed out in the exaltation of gifts like the gift of tongues? Although the context of the epistle and teaching are about the Corinthians' misuse and misunderstanding the abuse of spiritual gifts, thus a comparison of the impacts of the gifts of prophecy versus tongues, the broader lesson is about focusing on all, in other words, everyone, the whole church, other people, or focusing on one, namely yourself. Let's look at the passage, 1 Corinthians 14. We'll be looking at the first five verses. The majority of this chapter talks about this very topic, prophecy versus tongues. We'll stick with verses 1 through 5 this morning. He writes, Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. 
But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets, so that the church may receive edifying. This morning, I want to give you three details to remember about spiritual gifts. Three details to remember about spiritual gifts, especially in light of our understanding and learning about the superiority of love. In other words, it's all talking about spiritual gifts, including chapter 13 on love, but we don't want to lose the main theme, which is still spiritual gifts. So three details to remember about spiritual gifts in light of the superiority of love. The first detail is that spiritual gifts are decreed. We understand this. We've seen this. The beginning of verse 1, he says, Pursue love. This is a transition from chapter 13. Yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts. With all the talk about the superiority of love within the context of spiritual gifts, it can be easy to think that Paul is downplaying the necessity and role of spiritual gifts. He is not. To be sure, he is downplaying the priority of spiritual gifts compared to love, but both are necessary and both are commanded. So this to-the-point reminder, pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts. Paul maintains the supremacy of love. He says, pursue it. This is a word back then used of a hunter chasing his prey. Hunt it down, love. Chase it with intensity. And the tense again tells us that it's a continuous, habitual action. Chase it now and don't ever stop chasing. So how does one do that? How does one chase down love, pursue love? Understand this is the practice, the, the attitude, the habit, the characteristic of love in our own lives, okay? Not chasing down someone to love, <laughs> chasing down love to excel in it in your own life. So how do you do that? What does that mean? It's a simple two-step process. Pursue love involves, firstly, practice love. And for this, refer back to chapter 13. And secondly, then excel still more. And for this, refer back to chapter 13. It's circular, you see. When you desire to excel in love, you will practice love. And when you practice love, you will desire to excel in it still more. It's like anything you chase. A hunter, for example. Once that new hunter gets the spoils of victory, chases down the prey, it whets his appetite for more. This is fun. This is good. Like any chase freeze tag with kids, anything. Once you succeed once, you want to do it more. And that's how it is with love. And so pursue love. Again, Paul's extolment of love does not mean that spiritual gifts are any less valuable than previously stated. The key is that love is to be interwoven into the use of spiritual gifts. And we saw this in previous weeks. It's not that he's saying spiritual gifts or love. He's saying spiritual gifts because of love, spiritual gifts with love, spiritual gifts motivated by love. Otherwise, again, it is useless. 
And so Paul tells us to desire earnestly spiritual gifts. Desire them in your own life with an understanding that God gives as He wills. Desire them in other people in the church with the same understanding of God's sovereignty, giving as He wills. Remember, spiritual gifts are decreed. They are given, they are decreed for us to exercise. And so their importance is not to be buried in the teaching on love. It is enhanced because of love. It is enhanced when practiced with love. So much so as we have seen that they are useless without it. And so remember, quick reminder, don't get lost in the teaching on love. Spiritual gifts is what he is talking about. Love is within the context of that teaching. Desire spiritual gifts for you and for others and use them with love. Spiritual gifts are decreed. The second detail to remember that I want to give you this morning about spiritual gifts is that spiritual gifts are disproportionate. We've seen this to a degree already, but he really lays it out here. Spiritual gifts are disproportionate. Look again at verses 1 and then go through verse 3. Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. So he's using two of the miraculous spiritual gifts that were prominent at the time. Paul shows us that the different gifts have a difference of significance. And that significance is wrapped up in their potential impact or their help for the church as a whole. So on the one hand, you have the favorite of the ancient Corinthians, the one that they are most abusing and bragging about and showing off, the gift of tongues, the miraculous gift of speaking in an unlearned but existent human language. And on the other hand, we have prophecy, the direct reception and transmission of revelation from God. Two different gifts, both no longer existent, but he uses them to contrast one's attitude towards oneself or towards the whole of the church. It is this second one that Paul presents as a spiritual gift that should be pursued beyond others, prophecy that is, and there's a reason for this. The reason is explained firstly by comparing it to the scope of the impact of the gift of tongues. You'll notice that the gift of tongues still has a significance to it. Namely, speaking to God. That's no small thing. But even in that, the one who practices the gift of tongues, he says, speaks mysteries in his spirit, speaks that which is hidden, speaks that which no one understands. Perhaps even the one speaking in tongues does not fully understand, unless, of course, there is an interpreter. And without an interpreter, these mysteries remain hidden. This does, Paul say says, edify the one who is speaking, the one with the gift of tongues. And again, that's not insignificant. We need to be edified. It's good to be edified. But Paul's larger point is that it only edifies the speaker, and that makes it less significant than, say, prophecy. Prophecy which, according to verse 3, impacts others in the church rather than only yourself. In fact, you notice that the audience is not just self, 
and God, but other men in prophecy. And these men and women, he says, are edified, they are exhorted, and they are consoled. Let's take a minute to look at what prophecy and other church-focused spiritual gifts that still exist today can do. And more to the point, what the gift of tongues or a focus on self cannot do. First, he says edification, upbuilding in the ESV, strengthening in the NIV. Woven throughout this chapter, we have seen this idea, this principle of edification. The basic literal meaning is building up. When used in the context of spirituality and in the church, it is speaking of increasing faith and strengthening spiritual life. Edification, we understand this. This is done, the growing of faith and spiritual life, the edification. It is done by the presentation of God's truth. It is based on that. And that, of course, is exactly what prophecy does. This builds up the believer because the Word of God is not merely informative to the mind, but is to be digested so as to nourish the soul. Though this particular gift no longer exists, you can see the modern-day equivalents of helping someone to know and understand God's truth. Whether whether it's just one-on-one interaction over breakfast or it's through a sermon or a small group or answering questions or whatever it may be, it's taking God's truth, making it their own, and applying it to their specific life situation. It builds them up. It edifies them. When it comes to public worship, which is a Sunday morning, for example, but other public areas of worship, where people are gathered together, edification is the measure by which we gauge its effectiveness. Did you catch that? In any public worship, whether on a Sunday morning, whether at a small group, whether in the children's ministry next door, whether I will take it even down to a gathering of saints watching a football game, or having a late-night meal at Denny's, the measure of its effectiveness is how much people are edified. Not how much fun they have, not how much more knowledge they have about the Bible, but how much they have grown, how much their faith has been strengthened. Prophecy or the exercise of mass edification is focused on everyone. Whereas something like tongues or the practice of just personal edification is focused on one person. And so it's going to have limited effectiveness. You understand this in many areas of normal or even secular life. No company wants to just help one person in the world. They want mass help, mass purchasing, mass influence. Facebook, Instagram, whatever your favorite uh, social media of the day is, they would not be happy if they only had one subscriber. You wouldn't be happy if you only had one Facebook friend. The more, the better. How much more significant when we're talking about the potential for someone to become closer to their Creator? 
Edification is the name of the game. Another way to put all of this is private devotion versus public worship. Both are important, but when it comes to service, obviously public is better. Paul goes on to contrast tongues by saying that prophecy also exhorts where tongues cannot. Both the NIV and ESV say encouragement. And that's exactly what exhortation means, encouragement. Literally what this means in the Greek is to call someone to your side for help. To call someone to your your own aid to help you. It, It can be translated encouragement, comfort, consolation, assurance. These are all within the broad range of meanings for this word. Another good translation of this word that I like, especially this time of year, it's a word that we don't use in this manner very much, but the word cheer, the verb cheer. To cheer someone in the pursuit of holiness, to stimulate one to greater effort and devotion in their relationship with God. And this can involve all kinds of admonition. It is encouragement. We've encouraged, we've been encouraged, we know what this means. Finally, prophecy, unlike tongues, can console. Consolation or comfort in the NIV. This is help, especially in the midst of the difficulties of life, by coming alongside someone to speak to them with grace and with tenderness so as to lift their spirit with a timely and effective truth. Truth from God's Word, of course. Comfort is a synonym to exhort or exhortation. Consolation can mean encouragement, consolation, advice, stimulation, strengthening for overcoming challenges and difficulties. We get that. There is a a different nuance to how you encourage someone when they're especially in a difficult time to lift them up out of that difficult time, not towards greater self-esteem, but towards greater holiness and reliance upon God and understanding of His mercy, grace, and sovereignty. You understand that as Christians, we are living in a world that is hostile to our God, a world that is hostile to the gospel, hostile to us. And of course, we can't blame them. They are enslaved to their depravity. Life for the Christian in this world is hard, and thus consolation is powerful. It is through consolation that we can endure and hold out with joy and hope and final triumph. For this to truly occur, we do this not with psychiatric buzzwords or cultural proverbs or emotional stroking. We do this with the Word of God. This is why prophecy accomplishes this, but also reminds us in a time when prophecy is no longer how to truly console one another with the Word of God. Edification, exhortation, and consolation of others. Prophecy does it. Tongues cannot. Serving in the church does it. Hiding in your closet reading the Bible cannot. Think about it. You're going through a trial. 
And I, I, as a brother in Christ, I come alongside you and I remind you, I say to you, brother, God is causing all things to work together for good in your life. Romans 8.28 Or brother, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man, and God is faithful to provide a way of escape so you can endure it. 1 Corinthians 10.13 The Word of God edifies, it exhorts, and consoles. Or, imagine you're going through a trial, and I come alongside you and I say, Brother, now, unless you speak Albanian, that's probably not very encouraging. Clearly, spiritual gifts are disproportionate. Some are more effective than others. And edification, exhortation, and consolation are not just results of an extinct spiritual gift, but should be the result of all public ministry, should be your desire and pursuit in all interactions. Three details to remember about spiritual gifts. We've seen spiritual gifts are decreed. Spiritual gifts are disproportionate. Finally, number three, spiritual gifts are desirable. Look at verses 4 and 5. He reiterates in verse 4, one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself but one who prophesies edifies the church. Verse 5, Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets, so that the church may receive edifying. Spiritual gifts are desirable. Spiritual gifts are a good thing. They are given by God. They are enabled by His power. And despite the immediate point that God is making, we should not just see them as something we are given and have to use or as that which causes division or sinful comparisons or an opportunity to judge others or to even think that you're useless as we saw in that picture of the human body. Here Paul repeats that difference. Tongues edify, but only the one speaking in tongues, whereas prophecy edifies the whole church. Grammatically, Paul says that it edifies the local church that the individual with the gift is a member of. Again, the word edify means to build up and is used in a tense that speaks of habitual and continual action. A reminder for the constant use of any spiritual gift within the church for a constant blessing and building up of those around you. You have a gift, use it always, constantly. And I want to point out from the phrase edifies himself. Tongues, the person who speaks in tongues only edifies himself. This is not derogatory. Spiritual edification is always a good thing, even when it's just focused on self. But we can't just focus on ourselves, especially when it comes to the use of spiritual gifts and service. Although good, there is a degree of selfishness, especially if all you are doing is seeking your own edification. Think about it. Were I to spend all week studying, it would edify me. I would grow in the Lord because I'm studying 1 Corinthians. I would grow, grow closer to God. All very good things. 
But if that's all I did week after week, with no presentation of what I've learned to you or even to my family, there is a selfishness in that in light of my spiritual gift. There may be a slight indirect impact on the church because one spiritual growth, though personal, does impact others indirectly. But even then, we'd kind of be stretching to find something good out of that selfishness. And he goes on to verse 5 to summarize all that he said in verses 1 through 4. In this summary, he is explicit about his preference for the gift of prophecy, again, because of its broader impact. He starts by saying that he does wish that everyone spoke in tongues. He will go on later in the chapter to talk about how they have value in private prayer. He just said that it edifies the one speaking. It is still a gift of the Holy Spirit. So he's not saying, let's get rid of tongues altogether or keep quiet if you have that gift. As he often does after making a strong point, he is reassuring the Corinthians so they don't go too far in what he's saying and in this context get rid of gift, uh, gift of tongues altogether. But the point is found in the middle of the verse when he says that prophecy is greater, it's better, and he desires even more that all would prophesy. Now look, he knows that not everyone's going to speak in, the, in tongues and not everyone will prophesy. He knows that's not going to happen. It's a desire of someone who understands the greatness of God, greatness of God's grace. He loves God's people, and so it's his wish. Like me saying, I wish we could all go to Hawaii together. It's not going to happen, but it's a desire. And speaking of love for God and the church, Paul's reason is that he wants everyone to be edified. He wants all believers to be built up. And I want to give you a side note here. We'll talk about this more later in the chapter. But he does mention that there is more value to the gift of tongues if there is someone with the gift of interpretation. He seems to indicate here in this passage that someone may have the gift of tongues and the gift of interpretation. And what's probably happening in the midst of the Corinthians' abuse of the gift is that they were only concerned about showing off. So there is no interpretation. They just want to say, hey, look at me. Look what I can do. And thus there is no group or mass edification. Based on what the Apostle Paul is confronting and rebuking the Corinthians on, it's safe to assume that even if there was someone with the gift of interpretation, they weren't as concerned about that because they were just so focused on bringing attention to themselves in speaking in all these different languages. But more to the point, or back to the point, spiritual gifts are desirable. We should desire them. We should appreciate the fact that we have them, and appreciating them is appreciation towards God, God's design of you, God's design of the church, God's creation of the local church, yes, even this local church, where you can flesh out that spiritual gift. You have a spiritual gift. And so how that translates into desire earnestly, the spiritual gifts, is to desire to practice them, find ways to use them, find ways to edify other people, serve. And so we're, t- we're talking about two spiritual gifts that don't even exist anymore. We're talking about a, a, a church 
that is abusing spiritual gifts in a way that would be almost unheard of or even rare in a church today or at least in our church. So 2,000 years later, these gifts are no longer around. We know we have still different spiritual gifts. None of them are addressed here. What's the point for us? What's the point of all of this? Spiritual gifts are decreed. Spiritual gifts are disproportionate. Spiritual gifts are desirable. Here's the basic point. As important as it is to work on your own spiritual growth and edification, we must also focus on building up others. Just like Paul is not saying get rid of the gift of tongues because it's only about you, we are not saying get rid of your quiet times. We're not talking about getting rid of your personal devotion your private prayer. But you must also have a pursuit of the edification of those sitting around you this morning. We must focus on building others up. And this plays out in your existing spiritual gifts in a couple of ways. The first is, no matter what your gift is, don't keep it to yourself. You are given a spiritual gift You are commanded to use it in the context of the whole of Scripture. I would believe that you have the potential of being disciplined by God if you don't use it, but you can choose to not use it. However that bleeds into your own natural talents, you can even use it selfishly. You can use it for more money. You can use it to talk people uh, into giving you more time off or Uh, vacations, for your own home, for whatever it is, right? No matter what your gift is, don't keep it to yourself. You have a gift, as we saw a few weeks ago, that the purpose of the gift is for the good of the whole, the good of the whole body. Use it. How else does this play out in our spiritual gifts today? Number two, get involved. Get involved. Kind of redundant, But you need to get involved. You can't use your spiritual gift if you don't know people. You can't use your spiritual gift if you're not part of a local church. You can't use your spiritual gift if you don't know other Christians. You can't even use your spiritual gift in this way if you are coming to church on a weekly basis and you yourself, again, grow as an individual. Wonderful. You worship. Wonderful. But you come to church just for that. You don't get to know people. You can't serve them. You don't know them. You don't want to know them. You're refreshed and you're encouraged. You finally found a church that does expositional preaching, preaches the Word of God, doesn't capitulate to the culture. Wonderful. I am glad you're here. I'm glad you're growing. But get involved. Because your goal in being here should not just be your own personal worship. It should be right now as you're sitting there. But as soon as we break, the goal should be to be involved, to get to know people so you can serve them, and then excel still more in that so you know in particular how to serve them. So don't keep your gift to yourself and get involved. Because we need to be reminded, though it is an outdated, at least the specifics, outdated illustration, 
we need to understand that even in the midst of God's gifting and blessing and empowerment, we can use all of that from God just for self. Again, still good, still has merit, but is not enough. It is not the purpose that He saved you, created you, redeemed you, not just so you can grow in your personal walk with Him. Again, very important, but it must bleed, explode out into your service of other people. And even if your modern-day spiritual gift is not preaching, just in your interactions with other people, with your understanding of the Word, with your pursuit of love, you can edify, you can exhort, you can console, even outside of your spiritual gift. You can do all of those three things, not because you're a wonderful counselor, not because you're a great person, not because you're empathetic, but because you have been redeemed by the grace of God. And He doesn't bring you into the fold and just pour out all of these gifts and abilities as every believer has so that you can just go home and read the Bible, that you can come to church and worship and then duck out and not talk to anyone and it's just me, myself, and I. That's nowhere in the Scriptures. So much so that without a proper understanding, you could read the passage we just read and say, oh, God doesn't want me to have quiet times anymore, which we know is not what he's saying. Because Paul is so strong on others, others, others. And so we must do both. We are to pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts. And for the Corinthians, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues. I wish that you all had quiet times. I wish that you all had fervent prayer lives. But even more, that you would prophesy that you would encourage, that you would get involved, that you would talk to other people, that you would practice biblical fellowship. And greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may receive edify. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this teaching that though irrelevant in regards to the specific spiritual gifts, have a clear uh, practical application for us. Help us to not be selfish. Help us to focus on others. Help us to not stifle or limit our spiritual gifts and the Holy Spirit in us and our understanding and practice of Scripture and our devotion to you just to ourselves. May we use it for the edifying of the whole church. Help us to be selfless. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.